LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, here with the host, <laughs> Todd Atkins. <laughs> I, I, you, you cracked me up, so I didn't get a what in there. <laughs> you can do it now. There it is. That's been a long, I mean, I've only gotten to do two of those in like two years. Got to get some reps in to get it back. I got to get reps in. It's not going to happen. Too long. Well, we're also joined here with JT English, who is a pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, where he leads the Village Church Institute. JT, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. I'm excited to be with y'all. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Uh, He has a little podcast as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that (laughs) and who your co-host is? Yeah, we do. We have a podcast here at the village. It's called Knowing Faith. Uh, we do. I do it with uh, Jen Wilkin and Kyle Worley. And honestly, it was one of those podcasts where we were like, "Hey, we really enjoy our conversations. Maybe, maybe other people will too." And man, it's just been. It's honestly become one of the things where like I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think we'd get past you know maybe five or six episodes. But it really has been one of the things that I've come to enjoy most about my job, regardless of whether people are listening or not. It's just fun to have conversations with people that you have shared interests with. What has been, because you said, you know, the conversations you were all having, like, man, we just recorded this and put it out there. What has been like some of your favorite topics that you guys have talked about and maybe the most response from, from those who listen? Man, that's a good question. We, uh, I mean, if you've, if you have a, you know, a pulse and are kind of aware of the conversation in evangelicalism or in the SBC right now, there's just a lot of conversation around men and women and, and how they relate to one another in the home and the life of the church and, uh, some people get, you know, really animated about this and sometimes even angry. So we decided to do a podcast based upon some of the things that God was teaching us here at the village called uh, a generous complementarianism. And it wasn't one that we had planned. We just said, Hey, you know what, let's, this is the conversation that we're having here. Let's just invite other people into the conversation also. And the feedback that we got from that, uh, podcast was just incredible. Uh, within the first few days, it had over half a million downloads. And we'll, the feedback we got wasn't just that they appreciated the content, but that we were actually trying to model what a generous complementarianism could look like, that, that people actually saw, here is a way forward for men and women to enjoy theological conversation, to lead in the context of the church together. So that was that, that podcast probably made the whole project worth it in terms of, in terms of the feedback we got. That sounds like a great book title, by the way. A generous <laughs> complementarianism. There we yes. go. Uh, I think it would be loved and hated on title alone. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to get somebody to to like do it under a pseudonym. Like nobody wants their name on it, <laughs> but they believe in the content. So but they if you, like. But if they, you see it, if you see a book coming out with generous complementarian uh, generous complementarianism on it in the next few years. Yeah, I, I didn't write it. It wasn't me. <laughs> but we'll know. We'll, we'll but know. you'll know. <laughs> if James Gray writes. That's right. <laughs> writes a, TJ oh, English. So Man, half, half a million downloads. As you know, I feel like at that point you're like, Man, what? What did I say? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people yeah. listening. Uh-oh. Yeah, well, you're like, did I, did I mess something up? Like, is everybody laughing at me and joking, you know? <laughs> Uh, but again, it was just one of those where, you know, sometimes it's not so much, uh, that you provided great content. You're just answering a question that everybody's asking. Yeah. And we've just realized that was a question that a lot of people were asking and village were, we don't think that we have like the answer, but we think we have a way forward. And what we've experienced here is that we're just trying to actually, before we, before we talk a lot about it, 
is over the last few years, we just were trying to build something more beautiful, a beautiful vision of how men and women can and should relate to each other in the life of the church. And it's honestly, that's been the real privilege is we did some hard theological work, about 18 months of writing first and asking questions and thinking about policy. Uh, and we built it before we talked about it. And so now we have some confidence talking about what God taught us in, in those processes. That's really good. Well, I, th- I think another aspect that and we, we talked about the Village Institute kind of in your bio, but kind of something that you guys are walking through and, and being able to walk people in discipleship in your all's local church before, you know, share it with others. I know that you're writing a book that kind of comes out of the Village Institute, and I'm excited to to read that when it does come out. But what would, what would you say that you all have learned through the Village Institute? Maybe for those who are listening that have no clue what that is, maybe just even give kind of what that institute looks like and how that's impacted your all's church? Yeah. I mean, that's really where my passion lies is, is trying to see rich and robust discipleship happen in the context of the local church. So maybe just a a little part of my background, because, you know, when you get into ministry or leadership, a lot of what you end up doing relates to your story. Like I'm passionate about this because, because of what God has done in my life. Mm. So I didn't come to faith until college. I didn't grow up in the church at all. I grew up in what you might just call a kind of a post-Christian secular home. I came to faith in college and didn't know what discipleship looked like. I, it was a, I came to faith through a nonprofit organization on campus. I didn't know what it looked like to get involved in my local church, but I was trying to, I was trying to get to know the pastor. It was a small little Southern Baptist church in Fort Collins, a faithful, wonderful church. And I went to him one day and I said, Hey, I, I want to grow. I want to grow as a Christian. Do I, what do I do? And he said, Oh, you want to grow as a Christian. That means you need to go to seminary. And, and I didn't even know what seminary was. I said, <laughs> what is that? Uh, and honestly, it was one of those things where it's like, wait a second, I, you're telling me I have to leave the local church in order mm. to lead in the local church. Wow. And, and that for me became a question that I just, I understand why he answered it that way, because that's the system that we have set up. Yeah. But that answer became, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't settle for that answer in my own ministry, if that makes sense. Yep. It, it was a, I'm never going to give that answer to somebody. Now, do I think people should go to seminary? Absolutely but I want them to go to seminary after we have absolutely exhausted all of our resources in the life of the church so that they then should go to seminary. So ultimately I ended up going to seminary, had a fantastic time both at DTS and then at Southern and left most of my classes thinking, why in the world are we not teaching these kinds of things in the local church? Like this stuff is invaluable. I didn't have the experience where it was like, you know, cemetery or seminary jokes. Like do you you really need to go, you know, for me, it was like, Oh my goodness. I now know how to read God's word. Oh my goodness. I'd never thought about the transcendence of God. Oh my goodness. I'd never thought about the gospel in that way. And so for me, I would walk out of the seminary classroom with just a, a new affection for God and for the gospel. And so then I, at the end of seminary, I said, how in the world do we create rich and robust, deep discipleship environments in the local church? And so that's what we've done here. You know, we've created Bible studies we've men's and women's Bible studies. We've got a residency program and a training program. The training program in particular is like a one year kind of discipleship light. We offer 21 hours of seminary credit uh, to Southern or DTS. And I expected about 15 people to sign up for this because it's, it's tough. I mean, they're doing doctrinal Mm -hmm. statements. They're reading Athanasius, Calvin, Bovink, Edwards. They're, they have to say the story of scripture for 20 minutes, like starting in Genesis, ending in Revelation. Like the, the bar is super high. Yeah. So I was like, Matt, let's pray for 15 people to do this. If we just get 15 people, wouldn't that be awesome? 
And it would be right. Like if, if most yeah, of our local absolutely. churches had 15 people doing that, like that for me, that felt like a big prayer at the time. Like I was trusting God because we really have seen this divorce between pastoral theology and theology. So I, I just didn't know if we'd be able to, to bridge the gap. In the first year, we had 459 people sign up just from Ooh. the village church. Uh, wow. So much so that we didn't even have room for them. I mean, we had to right. we had to get extra. We had to buy. There was a Radio Shack next to our church that we had to rent out. Like they they went out of business. R.I.P. So radio Shack. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So I'm I mean, thankful. what's funny is when the when the windows fog up, you can still see all the Radio Shack signage. Um, <laughs> so like again, we we couldn't even accept everybody that year. And then I thought to myself, okay, you know, people don't know what they've signed up for. They, they think they've signed up for the you know, most recent kind of easy believism Bible. Like they, they just don't understand. We're going to, we're going to be dropping people like flies to me, Lord of the fly. People aren't going to make it. And we had a 95% retention rate and we have ever since. So we're now five years in, we'll have a thousand graduates by the end of the year. Um, and it's just, it's changed the dynamic of the church. It's changed how people read their Bibles. And so, um, God has just answered, I mean, he more than answered our wildest dreams. It was one of those things where we, we were not even praying nearly big enough for what he was wanting to do. Well, I'm, I'm personally really thankful for that space because we've done pipeline there twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure Caroline's trying to get another, another one scheduled. So, um, right. no, that's a great space too. I mean, you guys have done that. Uh, you've, you've done that really well. Let me, it's let me been, ask this question because there's, uh, let me ask this question because there's probably people listening. We're like, wow, if we just had 15 people at our church go through that, that would change our church dramatically, uh, but they don't know where to start. So yeah. if let's just say uh, somebody listening and you're probably even talking to me as well, cause I'm fascinated to hear this answer. How would you say, here are a few steps for you to, to create something like this and walk your people through a, an intentional discipleship that they're going to love to learn God's word and grow deeper uh, in their relationship with him. You know, that, that's the number one question. So like we, uh, right now we have a conference going on here at the village that we, we invite other churches in and, and just say, Hey, here's what we're doing. And we want to be in a conversation learning with each other. And I actually did a presentation on TVCI just yesterday. And overwhelmingly the number one question I get is, yeah, but can my church really do this? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this, is this only for the, the mega churches with thousands of people coming and seemingly end, endless ministry budgets, which I, which is a misconception I should clear up. You know, we, at the village, we face as many challenges as anywhere else. We're just a, a you know, regular local church. It's not like we, whatever we touch turns to gold. We've got lots of failures on our, uh, on our end also and, and shortcomings. But, but my answer is this, and this is why I'm passionate about, about the book is this uh, philosophy of ministry, I think is actually more scalable than any other philosophy of ministry. Hmm. Uh, this this is a, a kind of philosophy of ministry that I think if you're a bivocational pastor and you're just trying to put 20, 30 hours a weekend or maybe 10 or 15, like this is something that if you adopt a structured and predictable approach to ministry, people will buy in. Because people buy into structured and predictable uh, rhythms of their life everywhere. And one of the things the church I think has lacked in a little bit is structure and predictability. We lack in structure because we think that organic is always better than structured because we think structured is going to be rigid. But what we've found at the village is when we, when you adopt, when we adopted a more structured approach is it didn't lead to rigidity. It actually led to deeper relationships uh, because we were building a trellis from which people could have relationships rather than saying, Hey, relationship is at the, you know, center of what we do here. Uh, you can't, you can't manufacture relationships 
but you can give people structured approaches to ministry from which deep relationships uh, uh, stem out, I guess you could say. Yeah. And the second is predictability. Like when, uh, and we're, we're as guilty of this at the village as any, any church, uh, churches change their philosophy of ministries, you know, about every five minutes, you know, every, every, you know, six week sermon series, like, Hey, we've got a new, we're going to do groups this way. And Hey, we're going to, we read you know, another book. <laughs> that's right. We just, we just, we just went to this conference and everything we said last week, we've decided to change, you know, and again, of course we're exaggerating a bit and all of that's well-intentioned because we're trying to serve our people as well as we can. Uh, but, but what we've realized is like, for example, you think about a, a young mom, uh, she is absolutely dependent on predictable rhythms in her life in order to opt in. So for example, you know, school starts in August and September and ends uh, before Christmas. It picks back up in January or February and ends for the summer. Like that's a predictable rhythm that we can bank on for the next, you know, 200 years or whatever it might be. What if the church thought about the predictable rhythms of the community around them and intentionally built discipleship patterns and rhythms around that? rather than thinking about, okay, we, we're, we're going to give people unpredictability and call it organic so that it becomes almost impossible for people to actually opt in or buy in. So when we gave people predictable structured rhythms, like a, again, a bivocational pastor could do that. A bivocational pastor who's working 20 hours a week can say, here's what we're going to do. It might not be as big and scaled up as big of what we've done here, but it could just be, we're going to have an 11 week Bible study in the fall an 11 week Bible study in the spring. It's going to start on time. It's going to end on time. It's going to be from you know, nine to 11 on Tuesdays in the morning and we'll have another session at night, whatever it might be. Uh, we're going to have leaders facilitate uh, conversation and you could do that until Jesus comes back. And I think it would transform your church. <laughs> That's so good. I, I'm just sitting here thinking uh, the structure piece is so true. Uh, we, we're joking on, a, on another recent podcast of the word organic and how we can easily say organic and um, it's more of just everybody a- <laughs> listening to this podcast regularly knows <laughs> how I feel about organic. <laughs> exactly, but I'll, I I'll, grew up on a farm. I can tell you what organic organic is. usually is a is a co- yeah organic usually is a code term for I didn't plan this. <laughs> you know, like I did not I did not think uh, I just yeah it's just organic. We're just gonna you know do it. It's like okay, but did you strategize this at all or yeah you know so and again I I, I think God do- does organic things out of structured ministry. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I'm excited um, to read uh, when it comes out in September, Deeper Discipleship. So if, if you're here, listen to this and you're like, man, I want to know the ins and outs of this, make sure to check it out when it does come out. So, Good deal. All right. Uh, I don't know how many minutes we're in, but we should probably actually get to the five questions. Maybe we should. It, maybe we'll only this do so four. so though. It is is great. I'm sure most listeners are like either, you know, if you're at a church, you're like, oh, this sounds really good. Or if you're leading a church, you're, oh, this sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So, uh, J.D., who who are you currently learning from? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, you know, you guys sent some of these questions earlier, and I thought about this one longer than I thought about any of the other ones. Uh, I'm going to make sure my wife listens to this, uh, because hopefully this gets me some points because honestly, in this season, I would say my wife, uh, so Macy, uh, English is my wife. And, and not only am I learning from her in this season, she was the second Christian I ever met. Uh, I met her a week after I came to faith and I never in a million years thought, uh, I would, you know, marry somebody like Macy. Um, I just had other 
other affections before I was a Christian. And then I met Macy and I was like, oh my goodness, somebody who loves the Lord, who loves scripture, who wants to, you know, give their life for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's somebody I should be with. And, you know, we started dating a few months later and I could say that nobody in the world has taught me more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a leader than my wife. I mean, she's just one of those rare people who just, I mean, her competencies are just enormous. Whatever she puts her mind to, it usually turns out to be pretty successful. In this season, uh, I'm learning from her something very specific. So uh, about two years ago, and I'll, I'll try to get through what could be a longer story pretty quickly. She was diagnosed with what we thought was cancer. Mm. Uh, so for about a month, we walked through kind of a cancer diagnosis, talking to chemotherapists, radiologists. Long story short, it ended up being a misdiagnosis, which is pretty scary. Yeah. She did have something that was painful. Uh, she had a tumor in her leg that was kind of pulling on her muscles and hitting some nerves. So it was a really painful six to eight months. I mean, just uh, really asking God to, to walk through us in the midst of suffering. But to watch her persevere with some really serious fortitude, again, was just another example of, of what it looks like um, to, to be a follower of Jesus in some really real ways. Like I, I just watched her and it's like, oh my goodness, she really loves Jesus. This isn't an act. This isn't a game. She loves the Lord. And then on top of that, as soon as she got better, uh, a company, she'd been a vice president of social media and marketing for a company for about seven years. And they did some restructuring. So she ended up uh, deciding, you know what, in light of this, I'm going to go out on my own. And over the past year, she built her own company called English Media that I thought was just kind of, and honestly, her intention was just, hey, this will be a fun thing. Give me some things to do outside the house when the kids are at school or whatever. And it's been going for about 13 months now and it just exploded. And it's one of those things where like, here's a woman who two years ago was walking through, I mean, intense and immense suffering who followed the Lord, you know, clearly as soon as she gets done with that, uh, you know, her job gets reshuffled and restructured and we're kind of wondering, God, what are you doing? And then she just keeps taking the next step. And so the leadership lesson I'm learning from her is, you know, life's going to throw a lot of challenging situations at, at us as leaders, but she often sees those as opportunities. And all she does is just keep taking the next step keep taking the next step and to watch God be faithful to her in the middle of that and to bless her efforts, which sometimes feel broken and sometimes feel, you know, we're not sure what the next step is. It just has been absolutely awesome. Man, that's, that's a great story. And just hearing how she, you, you all as a family leaned into the Lord in the midst of that. I know, man, a misdiagnosis had to be scary. And, you know, at the same time when it was found out that it wasn't cancer, I'm sure that was definitely a lot of thankfulness there, but oh man, oh yeah. So thank you, thank you for sharing that, and we'll, we'll make sure that she listens to this episode. She's gonna yeah, love yeah, the answer, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm actually recording this on my phone right now. Too. I'm gonna text <laughs> You're like, I'm not even waiting until this I'm gets posted. <laughs> I can't wait that long. I can't wait a month. That's oh, right, man. Well, what is what is the main point of emphasis for your leadership uh, right now? Maybe that's for your leadership team or even for yourself. Yeah. Again, this is. I think it's such an important question for leaders to think about. Um, I really have two thoughts around this, but I think they're, I think they're tied. Uh, the first thing and kind of point of emphasis that I'm talking to my team about, because we're really passionate about what we do, but uh, you know, if you've ever led in a kind of a complex organization, not everybody is passionate about what you do in the same way. They're passionate about what they do. Hmm. And so as leaders, we're not just called to pick up our preferences and run with them until everybody else submits to them. We're really also called to lay our preferences down and to learn what deference looks like to others. And so uh, in order to lead in a healthy uh, organization, uh, deferring, I think, is a, a leadership instinct that's been lost. You know, we think leadership is have convictions and do not let them go until you see them accomplished. That's, I'm, a, uh, I'm kind of a, 
a competitive person. And so I can, I can think, Hey, you know, I, I know you disagree with me, but I'm really right. And eventually you'll see it once I, you know, twist your arm into submission, but that's just not the way of Jesus. Uh, and so I'm learning and trying to coach my team in that it's, it's also right at times to defer, even if you're convinced that, that you, you know, you disagree or whatever it might be, um, which can be really, really painful, right? Like that can be, a, I, you know, I'm not gonna be able to lead the way that I, I think God has called me to, or we're not gonna be able to accomplish what we, what we think he's asking us to. Uh, and that can be painful, but that, that kind of leadership shows us that the privilege of leading is greater than the pain of leading. Mm. And so just what it's like to, to kind of um, lead collegially with a group of people who come from all different kinds of backgrounds and perspectives and different stories to learn how to defer in the midst of painful leadership decisions, uh, I think is, is, is it's not only what I'm learning, but it's also what I'm trying to lead my team into. So in that tension, there's definitely times where abs- and I'm not trying to push back on what you're saying. I'm totally agreeing with, Hey, there's times where to, uh, we're going to have to defer. <laughs> and of course there's going to be times where you feel convictionally, man, this is just where we have to go. How do you lean into that balance? Like, cause there's, Right. The time that you need to defer and say, okay, I hear your opinion. But then there's other times where it's like, right. I, I understand your opinion, but I also need you to get on board with this because right. this is where we need to go. How would you, for those listening, like, hey, I've been in that balance before. What advice would you give to there? Yeah, I wish I could give like a, a decision tree, <laughs> you know, like if this, then that. Um, and, and I'm not sure I can do that. It really yeah. requires being a wise person. Like, in the way of Jesus, like pursuing, you know, Psalm 1, What what is it like to be a person of wisdom. Um, if, if I was trying to give a decision tree and like, here's, here's a, you know, best practice, it's really learning how to do like conviction triage. Like what are your closed handed issues that you, you just can't go to bed at night unless you're working towards accomplishing fill in the blank. Like what is your closed handed? This is who I am. This is what I believe. I cannot let go of this those are areas you probably shouldn't defer, right? Because then you cease yeah. to be who you are and what God has called you to do. Those are, those are things where you as a leader have been placed by God to be in that seat on the bus and to lead and to, and to not in a kind of a, a tyrannical tyrant way, you know, <laughs> force people to get on the bus, but really lead them for their well being and for their flourishing. Uh, and then there's other issues that we think are closed handed issues that if we really prayed about it and gave some time and thought we'd realize, you know what, this isn't, this is not as high of a priority as I thought it was. This is, this is where I can defer. And so as, as leaders, I think we're often, we need to do triage. Like what, what are absolutes? What are the necessities that, that we feel called to? And then also what are the things that we thought were the necessities that actually aren't, that actually don't change the values, mission, and vision of our organization. And can we lay those down for the good of the whole? That's great. Understand your convictions uh, to the point where you're okay to lay them down. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I I think too, there's something to be said here um, on authority, like conviction and authority. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite leaders on the planet is somebody who I'm thinking of now who was always um, like, I never as a, an, an executive pastor, a, and he a campus pastor. He he never, uh, like I didn't ever have to tell him the same thing twice, you know. So he was a quick learner, a great leader, <clears throat> people drawn to him, all that. But um, I told him on more than one occasion, and this is what I was thinking. I thought of this person when you said that 
because I'm not diametrically opposed to you either. However, on this this person, I was like, man, sometimes I want you to have such conviction that you know you're right and you don't like you push and you shove and I have to tell you to stop because you know God's telling you to do this. Now, if mm. if I tell you no, if I make a decision, then I want you to respect my authority. But at the same time, man, I want you to push. And when I say, no, we're not going to do that, and if you think we should do that, um, then push back, man. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So interact with that a little bit. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is obviously an authority and conviction relationship that is all built upon trust. Uh, I think that's another lot. I mean, we could talk about this for the next however long you want to is an organization is really dependent upon credibility and trust all through the organization is because uh, in a power structure like that and with power dynamics like that, it, it requires leaders not just saying they have an open door policy, but really demonstrating it because it's easy for a leader to say, push, push. Yeah. Come on back in and let's just wrestle this thing to the ground. And at the end of the day, after 12 months of, you know, wrestling through a decision, still doing what they want to do. Leaders have to show that they're willing to change, right? Right. You can only say so often in an authoritative relationship, yeah, push. And it feels like you're being vulnerable. You're not actually demonstrating vulnerability until you're willing to let their ideas change you. Right. And so, um, and that's really what true, you know, authority is. So I'm sure you guys have maybe talked on the podcast before, maybe you're familiar with Andy Crouch and his strong and weak kind of diagram for leadership of both being a person of strength. You know, leadership is not laying down all authority. It's, it's actually picking it up, but picking it up in a Christ-like way, but also being a vulnerable person who's willing to be shaped and formed and uh, listen to the, to the leadership of those around them. I think that's really what you're talking about here. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. So other than uh, practicing spiritual disciplines, what are one or two things that you have to do daily in order to stay sharp as a leader? Uh, Two things. The first is I have to sleep I have to get good sleep or else I just crash. Um, I, uh, I remember being in my first few weeks in seminary and I was wondering, how am I going to do this? <laughs> uh, and I actually read a, a blog post that was super unhelpful. It was like, if you're married and you're in seminary, you know, it's time for you to, you know, pick up your cross and you should be sleeping two hours a night and, you know, don't, you know, don't ever let, you know, go to bed with your wife every single night, but get up at 2 a.m. to sleep. You know, it was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this feels like I'm in the military. You know, it was like, yeah. uh, 
And, and, and it just, it was not life giving to me. It was like, if I do that, I'm going to crash my family into the ground. Uh, and so for me, I learned early on, man, leaders need to get their rest, whether that's through Sabbathing or through just, you know, good, regular sleep rhythms. And so I, if I'm not on a regular basis, getting seven to eight hours of sleep, my leadership just goes out the window. I get irritated. I get frustrated. I can't see things clearly. I don't pray. I just try to do what's next. I get just, it gets, it gets messy quick. Now I can do it for a couple of days here and there. Like this week I've had including what today will be, it'll be five straight days of 13 plus hour days. Like this is a week where it's just like, golly, I'm really looking forward to Friday tomorrow. So it's, it's not that, you know, every now and then you got to just pick it up and say, okay, we're going to take this week in the teeth and it's going to kick us. But, but we're going to, like, I, I have a whole two days blocked off at the end of it where it's like, I'm just with my family. I'm doing yeah, nothing. I'm taking email off my phone. Yeah, that's right. And the second thing would be, uh, I, I love to work out. And for me, working out isn't, I mean, I, I like being fit, but I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm a fit person. For me, it's a stress relief. Uh, I work out usually in the afternoons if I have a chance around four or five. And it's uh, it's really just a rhythm of like, I'm actually, what I'm doing mentally is I'm laying everything down from work, you know, picking up some weights for a little bit and then heading into the house. And I, I've, I've actually able to disintegrate from work for a little bit so that I can enter fully in, into my home. Do you find uh, working out after the day, so like you said, around four or five, is that kind of like a clear distinction for you? Like, hey, I'm leaving the office, leaving yep. the stress behind, and before I get to home, I'm just kind of laying it all out? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. So for I've got a lot of friends who work out in the morning. i just yeah. never been able to do that. I think that's a <laughs> great rhythm. I mean, you know, if, if that's your thing, man, go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. But for me, it's like I, I don't work out as well. Uh, in the morning, I usually use that time to think about work because I'm like, okay, what do I have today? What do I have to do? What, what's next? Uh, but if I do it in the afternoon, I'm actually laying down what just happened, not picking it up. And so it's just, it's a healthy rhythm for me to distinguish, okay, I'm all in at home and I'm going to, this, or I'm all in at work, work out. And then I go back to the second shift at home. And that just has helped me kind of orient my day. No, that's super helpful. I've been trying to think through. I just switched from mornings to afternoons, and I've really enjoyed it as well. So, okay, let's get to you. Kind of led into. I that. stopped drinking energy drinks. Do I get any credit for that? Hey, I still don't. Right. I chase children around. That's working out, man. Okay, <laughs> I do take the stairs often here, <laughs> which can be a lot at certain times. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, JT, once you once you work out after work, you're heading home. Uh, you're with your family. What does leadership in your home look like? Yeah. Um, I just say, uh, do what I say. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, no, not, what not I at do. all. Yeah. Like, like, like I said, my wife is just, she's just, uh, she's just stellar. And so one of the things that, you know, there's some things that come natural to leaders or some things that need to be learned. I'm still learning a lot of leadership lessons, but one of the things that for me is, has been, uh, something that God is just like, it's just, it's just more natural for me. And so I think where, where I feel, um, just a, a, a sense of like, I know where people's strengths are. Like I can, I can pretty quickly pick up, here's where this person's going to, you know, serve the organization. Here's where this person's gifts are. So in the home, like I just know my wife so well. Uh, I, I just, I get a sense for here's where she's going to thrive. Here's where she's not going to thrive. So I've never understood the leadership philosophy that says in the home, the man does exactly this, dot, 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 dot. You got these roles and responsibilities and the woman does exactly this, dot, 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 dot. Uh, like for me, leadership has been, where does my wife thrive? What is she good at? And what am I not good at? 
and where do those things line up and let's let her thrive there. So for example, you know, maybe the joke, one of the jokes uh, would be, um, you know, men do the budget because men lead. And if I'm doing the budget in my house, there is no budget in our house, right? It's just, <laughs> it's just not going to go well. So that would actually be bad leadership for me to run with something that traditionally has been something that, well, men have to do that. If men aren't doing that, they're not leading and, you know, they're not caring for their family. But actually, I think good leadership says, you know who is really good at that? My wife is. She mm-hmm. crushes it. And so I'm actually going to let her thrive, flourish, and our family is going to be better off as a result. And we understand that that's what leadership is uh, in organizations. But sometimes we forget that in the home because we think, here are the traditional roles. This is what men do. This is what women do. And I do think that men and women are complementary and they're not interchangeable. To be a husband is a husband. To be a wife is a wife. Well, at the same time, as a good leader, as, as her husband, I'm trying to find ways that I can allow her to thrive and flourish for the betterment of the whole family. That's really good. I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, hmm, maybe I should try to convince my wife to do the taxes <laughs> this year. She's yeah, yeah, probably yeah. a lot better in that area than me, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So what, I mean, in, in, for some people, it might not be finances. It could be something entirely, like just uh, planning the week or whatever it yeah. might be. Uh, we can get stuck in some traditional ways of thinking. And again, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fairly traditional, but, but good leaders know what their weaknesses are and they know the strength of the team around them. And they learn how to create systems and operations that allow everybody to operate in their strengths so that everybody thrives. All right. I'm going to move us to our final question. And that is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self about leadership and preparing to lead? What advice would you give? Yeah, this is uh, uh, I saw this question. I was like, man, it feels like we might be ending the podcast on like a down note. Because uh, <laughs> it's like, golly, what, what wouldn't I tell my 20-year-old self? Lots of lessons to learn. Uh, I think for me, it's been like leadership is going to hurt, but it's worth it. Leadership for me has been learning the, the process and the journey of, man, this is way harder than anybody told me it was going to be. This is challenging. It's difficult. It's hard. It can be lonely. But for me, it's always been worth it. Uh, to see people thrive, to see them flourish, to see God do, as we kind of talked about already with the Institute, you know, a thousand times more than I was even praying for all of the along the way and the times I wanted to quit and the times I didn't know if I was gonna be able to make it or, you know, late nights in the office preparing content, whatever it was, it hurt, but it was absolutely worth it. And a lot of the leadership conversations I'm having here specifically with younger men at the village church is is uh, and, and I want to I want to say this as charitably as I can, but the, but but a lot of them are really scared of pain and leadership. Like as soon as they feel a sense of pain, it's like you know what, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe maybe I should go do something else. I, I'm not saying that they're fragile. They're not. They're very strong people. But I don't think they've learned the lesson yet that leadership is hard. It's complex and it's going to hurt. And so if you're a young leader and you start stepping into into whether it be ministry or the marketplace just because it hurts and it's painful doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It might mean you're doing it wrong, right? <laughs> uh, but, but it actually might mean that you're on the cusp of something great. And so allow that pain to shape and form you, but don't allow it to stop you. That's, 
that's practical advice. And I, I know that those listening and even for myself, I'm sitting here just being like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to take that and roll right on. So, that's so good. Well, JT, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been awesome conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And if you're listening, I hope you have as well. And you may have heard some resources that you wanted to check out. If the, the Village Institute is something that you want to check out, you can go to institute.villagechurch.net and you can learn more there. And of course, you can just Google JT English and you can find a lot of the resources that he's put out as well. So if you have not, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.